Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, James chapter 1. <laughs> Some of you are surprised and shocked. I'll just tell you, I've spent four weeks in James 1, and this is the last week. We're going to move out of James chapter 1, but we're going to summarize it and wrap it all up today because where he is about to go is so vital in our walk with the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 22. Look at this verse with me. It's my text today. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And I love this little phrase. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Everybody say those four words. Do what it says. Look at your neighbor and say it to him. Do what it says. Do what the word of God says, James says. The big idea that you find in James chapter 1 is this. God can... And he will use everything that comes to your life, whether good or bad, in order to mature you and to supply you with everything that you need so that you will lack nothing. God is using everything right now in your life. The good, the bad, and the, yep, you got it, the ugly. To do two things. He wants to mature your life and He wants to complete your life with everything that you are currently lacking. Now, some may say, well, Pastor, I don't lack anything. I'm saved. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. What do I lack? Let me answer that question with a little antidote. How many of you have ever had or seen kids uh, try on their dad's boots or their mom's house or shoes. You ever seen that? We've, we've seen that. Some of you have probably had grandbabies that did that or you saw your kids do it or maybe you saw somebody else's kids and they try those shoes. I remember when mine put those, they put my big old work boots on and, and they're doing this. They got the shoes on, they got them on the feet, but they can't walk in them. Here's my answer to someone who says, well, pastor, I really don't lack anything. Here's the, here's the deal. Just because you can wear the shoes does not mean you can walk in those shoes. In other words, what you need to realize is that if you want to try on big boy shoes, then you're going to have to learn to walk in big boy shoes. If you want to mature and you want to be a follower of Christ that is resistant to the temptations and resistant to the trials, then you've got to experience and know what it's like to walk in those big boy shoes. It requires maturity. When you get big enough feet, then you can walk in those shoes. The Lord wants you to grow up. Can you just tell your neighbor that? Would you just look at your neighbor and say this? Just grow up. Come on, look around. If, if nobody said that to you, I'm going to say it to you. Just grow up. God wants you to grow up. Some of you say, man, if I grow up any longer, man, I'm... <laughs> I didn't say old. I said grow up. And there's a difference. 
God wants you to grow up. You see, it's only those cute stages of growing up, those, those, those stages, they shouldn't last forever. You shouldn't remain in the kindergarten of your spiritual maturity forever. And there's cute times, right? I mean, how many of you remember when your daughter or your granddaughter uh, came out of the bathroom and she had gotten into grandma's lipstick and it was all over her mouth, all over her face? You remember that? Or your son, he found the Sharpie black magic marker. Turned himself into Batman. Those things are cute. They're funny. But you don't want to live there forever. If you showed up to church and some of you had lipstick all the way around your mouth, I'm just telling you, get your husband to help you to try that, putting that on next Sunday. If you show up with black magic marker all over your face, somebody needs to start hiding the markers in a place that you can't reach them. Because God does not want you to live in that kindergarten stage. He doesn't want to see a grown adult falling on the floor and throwing a fit in the grocery store. Or when trials come or or temptation comes or when somebody offends you, you fall on the floor and you just flail and flop. God, why did you let this happen? No, that's immature. That's immaturity. God uses things to change us. You can't stay where that... you You know it's time to grow up when you have to park the guy's mustache to get the bottle in. It's time to grow up. James chapter 1, he discusses several aspects of spiritual growth. And we've already looked at it. Number one, he says, he says you have to, you have to, it, maturity requires experience. You cannot become mature by reading a book from wherever, 10 steps to spiritual maturity. You, you're not going to grow. You have to experience that. And you have to go through trials and troubles in order to experience that. The second thing is, as he talks about, he says, look, you have to mature in your internal decision-making and you have to learn how to deal with temptation. You have to learn how to deal with temptation. That means temptation will come. But the Lord's always going to give you the out. What he wants you to do is develop the strength enough to make the decision and have have enough grit in your faith to choose the right way to go. I've seen parents who have sheltered their kids in such a way growing up that when they hit 18, they are completely unfit for the temptations that they're about to hit. We have to to experience those things so that when we face temptation, so we, we are coached and so we're encouraged so that when we face those trials in life that we deal with them properly. The third thing that we're going to finish up with today in James chapter 1 is this, is that James says it's not just trials, it's not just temptations, but you have to have spiritual food. There is a necessity of spiritual food in order for you to grow and that spiritual food comes from the Word of God. God's Word is your spiritual food. You have to have experience. You have to have determination. But if you don't have enough calories, you cannot grow. So James tells us this. He says you've got to find this responsibility to get joy in your trials 
Remember God's goodness and te- temptation, and then you have a responsibility toward His toward His Word. Look at verse nineteen. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. And look at this. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We have a responsibility, my friends. We have a responsibility to the Word of God. And the first responsibility we have is we have to receive the Word of God with humility. We need to receive the Word of God and receive it appropriately. What James does is he jumps on the back of his of his half-brother Jesus who shared a parable a little bit earlier and he was the parable of the sower. If you'll flip over to Matthew chapter 13, you'll see what Jesus said about receiving the Word of God. Matthew 13, Jesus writes these words. He says, Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. And then he concludes with this, He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus compares God's Word to seed. And then he also compares the human heart to soil. And he talks about four different types of soil, four different types of human hearts, four different ways people hear the Word of God. The first one he describes, and he, and he, and he, uh, he explains this parable, if you look in verse 18, he says that the listen, the parable of the sower means when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. What is sown in his heart? The seed is sown along the path. So the path that surrounded the field, the path was the place where all of the, all of the gatherers would walk. It was the pathway to get from one field to the other. And it got pressed down. It got trampled on. Let me tell you something. Life has a way of doing that to our hearts, doesn't it? It just presses down. It compresses us. It causes our hearts in some ways to get hard. I spoke to a man this week. I was talking to him about the Lord and I began to share with him, you know, just how, you know, the Lord's really, you know, he's wanting to have a conversation with him. And he said, oh, he said, you know, he said, I grew up in church. But he said, then not too long ago, my son was 35 years ago, years old. He passed away. He said, it caused a lot of questions in my heart. Let me tell you, life has a way of trying to turn things and compressing your heart so that you can't hear the word. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, one of the types of people who will, who will hear the word, preached or, or taught or whatever, will be a hard heart because they've allowed life to just compress their life in such an extent that it just becomes hard. And as soon as the seed is scattered, the gospel goes out that God is faithful, that he wants to save, all of a sudden the enemy just swoops up and he just pulls it right away so that it's gone. And Jesus explains that second type. He says in verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and once receives it with joy. 
But since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, it quickly falls away. This is a person that he's describing the the hills of of Israel and they would plant crops on the side of hills. And on the side of hills, a hill is made out of rocks. And on that hill, you would just have shallow amounts of dirt and they would sow seed in those areas just because they didn't have any more tillable land. And they would sow seed in those areas and they would hope that the harvest would come. And sure enough, guess what? Man, that seed sprouted up and it says that a person that receives the gospel, like, man, the seed sprouts up. Boy, have many times have we seen this? Someone who hears the word of God, who hears the message, and boy, they just take it all, praise the Lord. But what do they do? It was an, it was an event. It was a one-time experience. And rather than saying, you know what, I want to grow in my faith, I just want to praise God for what he just did for me. And I'm going back to my my other life. I'm just going to not worry about getting roots. I'm not going to worry about developing spirits. I'm not going to worry about Bible study. I'm not going to worry about prayer because all those things, that's just for, you know, that's for other other people. But I'm thankful that God's done something. And what happens when the trials and the troubles come? The fruit that was produced withers and dies because they had no root. It happened on the hills of Israel. It happens in our hearts too. Then there's a third type. Not just the hard heart or the shallow heart. He talks about the crowded heart. Look at verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. Life happens. Priorities change. You have distractions. You allow things to grow up in the midst of your life. And they crowd out the Word of God. But look at the last type of heart, verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the Word understands it, and he produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. They receive the word. They allow it to take root. They begin to produce fruit. And that's the, that's the, the type of people who have just this bountiful blessing that overflows in their life. It happened in the fields in Israel, and it happens in our life. Let me just tell you something. In this room right now, there are people who are in every category. Some of you will hear what I have to say and it will bounce off of you like a ping pong ball off a table. Your heart is so hard. You've developed so many thoughts about God. You've allowed people in the world to fill your mind full of things that's caused your heart to become hard. My challenge for you today is, friend, would you just open up yourself to God? Because the Holy Spirit is going to be knocking on your heart. Some of you, you, you are here and, and you just want to see if you can get relief from your issues. You're a felt needs kind of person. I want God to just fix what I'm, where I'm at right now. And if he could just fix this, I'm not really worried about growing. I just want him to give me relief from my problems or my sickness or whatever. And some of you, you you're hearing the word, but you are allowing the everything else in life to grow up right along with it. You've allowed things in your life and in your Christian walk. Oh, yeah, you keep coming to church. You keep reading the Word of God. You'll attend youth. But you allow the other things in life to be just as important 
as His Word in your life, let me tell you, it's going to choke you out. And I thank God that there's some of you who are producing fruit, and it's bountiful. God's doing a great work in your life. And I can see it. I can see it on some of your lives. I see the production of God's Word. His seed is beginning to just overflow in your life. Because see, the emphasis on all four of these types that Jesus taught and James referred to, the emphasis on fruitfulness. It's on the fruitfulness of the seed. Let me tell you, the measurement of God's activity in your life is based upon your fruitfulness. There's no disagreement between Paul and James when it comes to the theology of of coming to know the Lord. You're not saved by your works, but you are saved for good works. And they agree completely. But your fruitfulness is that measure. If you are saved and you are following Jesus, then you therefore will produce fruit. It's not a question. When you plant an apple seed, you will grow an apple tree that will produce apples. And that is the same way with a Christian. When the Word of God is in your life and it is active and the Holy Spirit is moving in you, you will produce fruit and people around you will be able to notice that. And if they notice that you're not producing fruit, well, there lies the problem. You will produce fruit because it's about fruitfulness. It's a changed life. It's godly character. It's moral moral conduct. It's good decision-making. It's serving others. Seeds produce fruit, and fruit produces more seeds. So you're continually producing fruit all of your life. The truth is, is that the real Christian fruit has seeds, which means that you constantly continue to produce. Look at James, or John chapter 15. Let me just read a few verses there. John chapter 15 says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Or that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Some of you may be in the pruning process today. It's not comfortable, is it? But do you want more fruit? Do you want to mature? Yes. Look at verse 3. You're already clean because of the Word, the Word that's been implanted, as James says in you. I have spoken to you. Remain in me, Jesus said, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you... Bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains, or another word is abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can either do nothing and you can have nothing because you're not connected to me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Here's the key. How do you receive, how you receive the seed of God's word, as James says, will determine how much fruit you produce. The greatest tragedy for any pastor is to see the word of God taught and it never produces fruit. That's the greatest discouragement that could ever come into my life. 
Because my calling is to develop you, is to equip you to be closer to know Him, to, to follow Him, to choose Him, and to fruitfully bear the fruit of the gospel in your life and everywhere around you. So James says, look, seeing this every day, in the context of testing and trials, because James is seeing this. He's saying, look, I know that it's tough here in the first century. We're being persecuted. It's challenging, especially when you count trials and tests in front of you. Let me tell you, it's hard to produce fruit sometimes when it's not raining. When the trials and tests come, so what do you do? James says this. He says, first, you need to be quick to listen. Listen to what? Listen to the word, as he said in verse 18, that's been implanted into you. Listen to what? Listen to the word of God. Hear what the word of God says. When you're in a trial and a challenge, listen to the word. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear, he says at the end of that parable. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes to your life because you hear it and you are challenged. You, you bring that in. Just like an athlete listens to a coach, and just like a, an employee listens to their supervisor, or like a, a, a mother of a newborn baby listens for the cry, we should also listen to what God is saying to us. And the only way that we can hear that is if we hear His Word. There's times when we know we're not eager to listen. Right? There's times when Shannon has asked me, Are you listening to me? Did you hear what I said? It's kind of like that old farmer who was, had a rain on his old mule and he was pulling that mule. He was yanking on it, and this farmer down the road walked up on him and said, What are you doing? He said, I'm trying to motivate this mule to move. He said, Oh, okay. He said, Maybe I can help you. He said, Okay, well, you try. This other farmer walks over. He picks up a two-by-four, and he smashes that mule right across the eyes. Pow! That old farmer said, What would you do that for? He says, Well, if you want him to listen, you got to get his attention first. Sometimes that's the way we are. That's the way we are. You know what? Sometimes we're so busy doing life that God's speaking to us and we don't listen. We don't pay attention. So what happens? A trial comes up and trouble happens and all of a sudden, man, we're all ears. Your spiritual walk with God gets really serious when you can't pay the bills. Come on now. When you get a, a, a negative diagnosis from the doctor, all of a sudden, man, I ain't missing church. Got your attention. Because you realize the most important thing you can do is to hear from the Word of God because that's where your faith comes. You have to hear from Him. And He says, you've got to be quick to listen and then slow to speak. Listen to some of what Proverbs says. Proverbs 13.3 says, He who guards his lips guards his life but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. In other words, a lot of flabbing your gums, yeah, sin's going to be a lot of doing a lot of work. 
But he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, 27, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of understanding is even tempered. Now, technology has given us and allowed a lot of unrighteous words to immediately find a large audience through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever other things are out there. Oh, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X, right? All those things. You get a large audience to very unrighteous, rash words. The social media world around us that we live in that you can't fix, that you're not going to be able to do anything about, you have to know how to live in it. It's made us quick to speak and slow to listen. It's the opposite of what the Word of God says we should do. Instead of listening, we want to speak, we want to comment, we want to post, we want to put something out there. We have to, we have to troll somebody. The things to remember before you speak are these things. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Do you want to be a critic or do you want to be a coach? There's a difference between the people sitting in the stands at the Cowboy game and the dude standing on the sideline, right? Everybody knows when Dak messes up. Everybody knows it. Everybody in the stands knows it. Everybody on the, on the sideline knows it. But people react differently. In the stands, oh man, you bum, you're sorry, you're terrible, you're no good. Trade him off, get rid of him. But when he runs to the sidelines, you know what the coach says? Hey, come here. That's a, that's a bad, bad decision, okay? But get back out there and let's get after it again, all right? You're still our quarterback, you're still the man. There's a difference between a critic and a coach. And the coach is supposed to be slow to speak because he's processing what instead of, hey, you bum, right? Parents, be a coach and not a critic of your children. They do something wrong, say, hey, man, come here. Let's talk about that. Don't just ball them out. Hey, let's talk about this because you're going to be paying some prices. You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And that's what you're going to get. Right? You teach your kids that, but you coach them through it. You don't just criticize them. Do you want to beat, down, beat them down or do you want to build them up? Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win the person? Come on, husbands and wives. Slow to speak. And then, then finally he says, you need to be slow to become angry. Man, during the pressures of life, when you're going through trials and troubles, it's so easy to listen less, to talk more. And when you listen less and you talk more, that equals ill-tempered action. Irrational behavior filled with anger. I don't even know why I said that. I do. You didn't listen. You just rashly spoke and you got hot under the lid and you became angry. Anger, uh, James says anger, that, that type of anger doesn't produce righteousness. Proverbs 14, 29 says about this anger. He says, a man, a patient man has great understanding, but a quick tempered man displays folly. You know what happens when, when pressure and trouble comes to your life? When, when trials hit us, what occurs is our 
the trials in our life reduce our response times. Immediately we want to react because we're on the edge. It works kind of like this. You go to work and the boss sets you off. Man, you are boiling when you get in your car and you drive home. He's had a, he has said some things or your job has just been sideways all day and you show up to the house, you throw it into park, you walk through the front door, you slam the front door and she says something that's so innocuous, it's not even a big deal. And boom, mushroom cloud happens right in your living room. It didn't take much. She just, she just said, hey, don't slam the door. What? What do you mean don't slam the door? I'd pay for that door. I can slam the door if I want. Don't tell me what to do. You just explode. Why? Because pressure increases your, your reaction time. It, it makes it so fast and you can respond so quickly. Look at Peter in the garden. What did Peter do? Peter was quick to speak, slow to listen, and he almost killed a guy in the garden because of it. He got angry and he responded irrationally. Well, does that mean we're never supposed to get angry, Pastor? That's not what the Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. You need a little bit of righteous anger now and then. Anybody watch that movie, Sound of Freedom? Anybody sit there for 15 minutes bowling under their... Sh- I, w- I told Shannon, I said, I can't watch this anymore. She said, why? It's not- I was like, she's like, just stay here. I was like, this is making me angry. I'm mad. I want to resign the church and go to work for the FBI. Do something. And they'll give me a license to kill like James Bond. I'm ready to just tear somebody up. This is terrible. You should have some righteous anger. You should have some, some temperament about you. But that's righteous anger. Unrighteous anger is man's anger. Look at verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger is an immature response to your trial. It's an immature response. So he says, if you want to receive the word of God, as James says in verse 21, humbly accept the word that's planted into you. You need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to react to things unrighteously that usually come in the form of anger. The second thing that James says, if you really want to grow up, there's more. You don't just receive the word, but you do this. And here's where the really the rubber meets the road. You practice the word daily in your life. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed for what he does. It's not enough, my friends. Journey Fellowship, listen, it's not enough to just hear this message. You have to do it. You have to do the Word. 
going to Bible study on Wednesday, coming to church on Sunday, listening to a podcast, reading your Bible at home for four or five minutes does not transform you into a mature believer. Taking those truths and putting them to practice in your relationships, at the job, in your church, wherever you're at, that's what matures you as a believer. It's not the hearing, it's the doing. There's too many Christians that mark their Bibles that their Bibles never mark them. The Puritans used to say, some need more Bible, but most people just need more obedience. When you come to church, you need to understand that just because you show up to the church doesn't make you mature. No, I'm not saying don't come to church at all. What I'm saying is, is that if you are spiritual, just you think you're spiritual just because you hear the word or you're around somebody who is talking about the word, then you're just doing this. You're just fooling yourself. Spiritual maturity does not happen just by osmosis, just by hanging around it. You've got to put it into practice. And this is the hard part. This is where we stop because here's the reason. Because we're usually lazy. I'm going to preach at you just a minute. We get lazy when it comes to the Word of God because what we do is we believe the Word of God is always for somebody that's down the row from us. It's not for me. That's for somebody else. And we get lazy. Instead of trying that on, when the trouble comes, we want to pass that off. Well, she, my wife, she should should practice the Word. No, brother, you should practice the Word too. Well, that daughter of mine, she needs to grow. No, brother, you need to practice the Word. Practice that Word. He talks about this mirror. He said, here's what happens. He said, people do, do this the wrong way. The Word of God is like the, they take a mirror and they have a little quick glance. And James says, this is the mistake a lot of people make. They just make a little quick glance. He looks at his face in verse, verse 25 or verse 24. He doesn't really inspect it. He doesn't, he doesn't look past it. He just quickly looks and goes. I remember not too long ago, it's been several years ago, I came to church and I had never even combed my hair. Y'all, I know I don't have a lot to comb, but it makes a difference when it's combed. I mean, I looked funny. And I walked out my house and Shannon says, what are you doing? I said, what? She said, did you not look in the mirror? And I said, well, I did real quick. She said, you need to go back. My hair, it just kind of stands up in the middle. I've got like this mohawk with like four hairs. Just That's it. That's all it takes. But it's just that quick glance and people think, oh, I can just take a real quick glance at the word. You know, I got my devotion done in like 35 seconds today. Took my glance. I'm good. Spiritually active. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. There's a difference between a photo and an x-ray. You have to examine the word and let it examine you. Spend a few minutes. 
You have to get up just about 10 minutes early. Just get about 10 minutes earlier. That's it. Do what my brother here does. He says, you know what? My commute time, that's my time with God. Yes, I can, I can expose myself to the word and I'm not taking just a little quick glance. And, and James says, look, people that take a glance, they, they, they do something else. They forget what they see. Verse 24. You know what? The shock. I, I so desperately believe that, that we need to return back to the day where when we looked into the word of God and it exposed us for who we were, the shock would drive us to our knees. That we would fall and we would say, oh God, oh God, forgive me for who I am. John Wesley, talking about the, the second great awakening, he said this in a preaching service. Here's what he says, and this is a quote. He says, one before me dropped as dead, and presently a second and a third and five others sunk down in half an hour, most of whom were in violent agonies. What is he describing? He's saying, when the word of God was preached to this group of people and they realized how far they were from the, rea- from the righteousness of God and how desperately in need of they were and how sinful their condition was, they fell on their faces and began to cry in agony. I'm just afraid that we don't have that response to sin anymore because we're not looking at the word to practice. We're saying, oh man, that's bad. That's bad. You have to practice that. Before you say that's a little too emotional, look at Isaiah. What did he say? When he came before the Lord, he says, woe is me, I am undone. Peter said, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful, wicked man. Job, the most righteous man on the earth, says this in Job 4.26. He says, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, these men responded. They looked into the mirror and they realized their condition. They didn't forget. Then we have to obey it. I don't ever preach a message unless I first try it on in my study. That's my dressing room. I can't tell you, hey, you obey the Word of God unless I'm willing to obey the Word of God. So if I preach it to you on Sundays, I've tried it on. And I might have, during the week, had to fall upon my face and say, oh Lord, help me. I want you to understand something. God does not bless people. He blesses a place. God doesn't bless people. He blesses a place. He blesses those who are in obedience to the word of God. That's what he says. That's what James says. If you want the blessing of God to come into your life, walk in obedience to His Word. Practice that. It's just like a gym membership. Gym memberships are good if you go to the gym. Vitamins are good if you take them. Seat belts are good if you buckle them up. You got to practice it. And finally, I wrap up with this. Share the Word with others. Look at verse 26. Daniel, would you come? 
If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, James is going to talk a lot about the tongue, going to talk about a lot of speech, and we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. The religion that our God and our Father, the God and that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That word religion literally translates to be outward practice, service to God. It's only used five times in the New Testament and every one of those times it refers to what is also translated as worship Let me tell you something. The only time that you worship as a believer is on a Sunday morning when we're here with music playing. You are missing the point. Worship happens as you are giving of yourself and serving others in your job, on the community, speaking kind words, responding in a kind way, responding with compassion, walking into the room that's filled with, with turmoil and walking in with peace. That's how you're worshiping God because you are putting into practice His Word and you are sharing His Word with others. You see, if your religion, if your spiritual commitments don't end in two results, they are worthless. One is they have to help the hurting, the widows and the orphans, and they have to make you holy. If you're not affecting those who who are challenged more in our society, widows and orphans, and it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically that. What, he is, what James is saying, he's saying, look, we're in the midst of a time where the people who are the most vulnerable need help. Here's a statistic that I just want to pass on to you. Husbands and wives, ma'am, 60% chance one of these days you will be a widow. Guys just... I guess we work it all off too fast. But it's the truth. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to be afraid of those moments if that happens to you in your life. Because there should be a family of God that's standing there saying, you know what? We're with you. You need help with the rent? We'll help you with the rent. You need help raking your yard? We'll be there to help you rake your yard. We'll be there. We're going to stand with you. We're we're going to share because our religion is pure and faultless. We're going to help those who are vulnerable. Same thing with orphans. And it should make you holy. It should make you mature. So let me just summarize this whole chapter with this. I'm going to close. How do you respond to trials and troubles? How do you respond to pressure? Trials are going to come. That's an opportunity for you to grow. So those of you who are going through a tough time and season and patch in your life right now, I want you to know it's a great opportunity for you to grow. There's an immature way that you respond to those. First of all, if you're an immature believer, your reaction is fear and, and panic and anger and you hit, you hit the, the red panic button. Your attitude is is uncertain. You become double-minded in your trial. You, you bounce between the flesh and the spirit. You're unstable. You blame God. You're just a hearer of the word. You show up to church, but you don't practice it. You're, you get mad real quick. You, you have this unbridled tongue and you deceive yourself that everything is fine. That's an immature attitude. And the result is, as James says in chapter one, it's death. You have no beauty in life. The good in your life just passes away quickly. It becomes worthless religion that's beneficial for nobody, even yourself. But for the mature believer, 
For the mature believer, when you respond to trials, your reaction is this. You activate the faith button. God, this is going to be tough, but my trust and my hope is in you. And your attitude becomes this. I'm going to just count it joy. This is an opportunity. God's going to give me wisdom. Your attitude, you become quick to listen. You become slow to speak. And you be a doer of the word. When I preach it, you just do it. Because that's what God's word says. You hear it, you do it. And the result is this. You have greater endurance in your spiritual life. You will lack nothing. You will become mature. Good gifts will begin to just rain down from the Father. You will be blessed because you're walking in His Word. And you will receive, as James says earlier, you will receive a crown of life in verse 12 that no one can take from you. That's how a mature person responds to trials and troubles. I want to leave you with this question this morning. Where are you? in your trial, in your trouble today? Are you responding maturely or immaturely? If you're immature in your faith, don't beat yourself up. Say, Lord, grow me, and he will. He will. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for all that you're doing in our church and in the lives. Lord, I know the things that are, Lord, what's taking place in so many families in this church, Lord, the challenges that they're experiencing, the things, that, Lord, that they're going through. Lord, you are, you are sharpening them. You're giving them an opportunity to grow and to mature. And at the same time, you're maturing our church, Lord. Help us, Lord, to take your word and to be a doer, not just a hearer. May we take your word and may we practice it in our life. I want to pray as we leave today that God would take what he has spoken to you and that you would put it to practice. Make it a part of your life. If you're here today and the first thing that you need to do is you need to come to the Lord, that's the first thing that you can practice. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I just tell you, in 10 seconds. It's the best decision you'll ever make. He can take your life where it is right now. He can forgive your sin. He can wash away your past. He can give you hope and a brand new future. And he can help you to live this life with joy, peace, and happiness because his spirit will always be with you. That sounds like a great deal, but you have to be the one to make that decision. If you don't know the Lord, you can put it into practice today and you can say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. Maybe that's you. If it is, would you raise your hand and let me pray for you today? Is there someone in this room who would say, you know what, I came here today and I, I heard the word and I want to put it into practice. I want, I want Jesus to come and to fix me. And he can. He can turn your life around. Is there anybody in this room this morning you say, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Yeah, here's one. Anybody else? I'm not where I need to be with God. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for raising your hand. I'm not where I need to be with God. Yeah, I see your hand in the back. I see it. I'm not where I need to be with God. Yes, young man, I see you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm not where I need to be with God. I'm here today and God's going to help me. Yes, sir. I see your hand. Praise God. You're putting it into practice today. You're not just going to walk out and hear the word and ignore it. You're going to do something about it. Yeah, I like people who take action. I'm going to do something today. I'm going to get my life right and I'm going to start all over. Maybe you've done this before and you say, you know what? I've got to start all over. I've messed up. I'm off track. I'm off base. I'm starting all over today. Anybody else? I want to pray.
I'm going to invite everybody in the church to stand. And we're going to pray this prayer all together. Now, I want you to know something. It's more than just praying a few words. It's about hearing and doing. You're going to hear you hear your prayer as you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, wash me clean. Lord, come into my life. Lord, be my Savior and be my Lord. Go with me everywhere I go. Lord, I'm going to set you as the priority in my life and not everybody else or anything else. Make that your practice. Let's all pray this prayer together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your son Jesus who gave everything because he loved me the most. Forgive me of all of my sin, everything in my life that I've done wrong. Forgive me of my past the big and the small come into my life. Give me a new walk, a new purpose, a new hope, a new future. Become my savior, become my Lord because I have decided to follow you. I won't turn back. I will keep going no matter what happens. You are mine and I am yours. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I welcome all of you. If this is your first time to pray that prayer, you are our, you're my new brother or sister in the Lord. So welcome to the family. Amen. Praise God. As you go today, if you want to just visit with somebody about that prayer and that you made, I'll be right down here at the front. Otherwise, why don't you check out some of the tables that are out here, our connect groups, get involved, find somebody that can sharpen you and grow you in your faith. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus name. You're dismissed. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you tonight. If you're parking cars. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.